0: This is Soundstage founder Doug Schneider. You're listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, your semi-regular deep dive into news, facts, opinions, and anecdotes about everything that really matters in the world of high-performance audio. Hosts Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger have more than five decades' worth of audio product testing experience and a few hours of podcasting experience as well. Now, here's Brent and Dennis. Hello. Hello. I'm Brent Butterworth, editor of Soundstage Solo, and I'm Dennis Berger, editor of Soundstage Access, and this is the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. That's somewhere true. between forty-five minutes and an hour of gabbing about audio that we hope you will find interesting. <laughs> you sound a little weird this week, Brent. What's going on, man? Well, I'm in uh, right now. I'm in Houston, Texas, at my mm-hmm. uh, at my brother and sister-in-law's house, and I'm. I couldn't get my normal. I brought actually my decent recording rig with me, but I couldn't get the Focusrite Vocaster two to talk to my PC, no matter what I did. And uh, so I'm using my uh, the microphone built into my webcam, which is not bad. Yeah, we'll fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that little that little bass boost and whatever, whatever it is the focus right does that makes my voice sound so good. We'll yeah. figure out how to how to mimic it, but yeah. but it's it should be fine. I just did a I just I just I wanted to say I just did a lengthy uh YouTube thing with uh DJ Briggs who does the bright side is it the the side home theater podcast and oh, cool. we basically get on there and mostly talk about movies. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and I used, the same, I used the same camera and the same mic, and it worked fine. So we should be fine. Very nice. Well, what are we talking about this week? We are going to start with a segment about, uh, uh, I saw an article in the Absolute Sound on their website that's their, uh, one of their 2022 Golden Ear Award winners is the Tyco Audio Extreme Music Server. And they go into there's it's just a blurb it's like a paragraph it's about maybe 125 150 words about this server and it's a 34 thousand dollar music server and but there's a lot of stuff said about this server that I think kind of highlights some of the things that audio reviewers and audiophiles ought to be wary of when they start to look at at these kinds of products because there's a lot of hype here and if you don't know much about electronics you would probably fall for the hype but we're gonna yeah. we're gonna get past the hype we're gonna dig down deep and talk about what this thing can actually really do for you and what is our next segment after that do you know the the youtube channel cheap audio man yes yes it's a pretty cool
1: channel. I really like it a lot. I like Randy, the guy that runs it. Mm-hmm. And we, he and I st- stop around in a lot of the same territory. We're looking for high value in audio, but also, you know, high performance. And yeah. um, he's got a cool new video that I wanted to talk about called Do Power Cables Make a Difference? The results surprised me. Um, he's blind testing the AudioQuest NRG Z3. Power cable against the stock power cable, and I thought it was interesting. But I think probably more so than the video, I want to talk about the comments section. Um, yeah, but but we'll get there. What are we, what are we going to wrap up with this week?
0: We're going to wrap up with an examination of something that Soundstage has been doing that I honestly wasn't that aware of. Because Soundstage is a sprawling metropolis of nine microsites. Mm -hmm. that, that, that deal with different aspects of audio. So I don't get to read them all. I kind of skim and find the art, pick and choose the articles that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And I don't usually read a lot of stuff about, you know, music and movies, but, um, Joseph Taylor has been doing a great column called curated, where he takes you through He tells you a lot about an artist. He takes you through a lot of their output. He tells you what you need to hear and what you maybe don't need to hear. And he just did one on XTC on Mm soundstageexperience.com. But he's done a whole bunch of different artists, including a lot of artists I dig. And a couple of artists where I'm wondering, like, why would anybody examine that artist? But maybe we'll find out.
1: Yeah. But first. Yes.
0: Yes. So I want to talk about, I really, as soon as I saw this article, because I subscribed to Absolute Sounds uh, newsletter, which they'll probably take me off of pretty soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll resubscribe to it under a phony name. Yeah. I can keep coming up with more email addresses. Um, so uh, th- this is a, uh, one of their golden year awards. It's like one of you know, the best of 2022. And this thing is the Tyco Audio Extreme Music Server. It's 34,000 bucks. And The write up here is kind of like I used to write ads for high end audio companies, right? And this Mm -hmm. actually, this is, this is, this, I would have been, had I written this as an ad, I would have been proud of it because it has a really nice rhythm and a nice kind of, Vibe to it. I'll just read you a little bit. Ignore the aircraft-grade aluminum enclosure with enormous heat sinks. Ignore the six thousand holes drilled into the top of the chassis to attenuate resonance. Ignore the linear power supply with four hundred VA transformer Lundahl chokes and seven hundred thousand microfarads of Mundorf and Dooland capacitors. And it goes on and on and on with a whole bunch more. Ignore, ignore, ignore. Um, Mm -hmm. But something really. Caught me here. I mean, mm-hmm. okay. So let's just examine. So uh, what a music server does is it either pulls music from the internet through a streaming service, mm-hmm. or. It streams music from a networked hard drive. Sonos is the best known example of this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Sonos, Sonos products have this built right in. You get on the app, you can stream from a whatever streaming service, you can stream from your hard drive, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So, great. But it's the thing is that a, a music server is a data product. It's a product that delivers data. Mm-hmm. It is not a product that is is supposed to have a lot of variability to it. Yeah. But a lot of people talk about these music servers in terms of how different they sound. Yeah. Even though they're just pulling digital data off of a network, yeah, and sending the digital data out through USB or whatever whatever, you know, spit if or whatever interface you're using. Mhm. And these magazines and, and websites talk about these things as if they had, had this giant effect on the sound. And what, But what really dinged me here is that this thing has a linear power supply as opposed to a switching power supply, which is what's used in most computers. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of built like an amplifier. It's got 700,000 microfarads of, of these super high-end capacitors, right? Yeah, So yeah. Now, here, here's the thing, though. This writer... That, that wrote this blurb for the absolute sound and who, I guess, reviewed this product, fell for that. And when I say fell for that, I mean fell for that. Because why, okay, so 700,000 microfarads of capacitors is a lot of capacitors, right? That's like, um, how many Diet Coke cans worth of capacitors is that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, a that's few. the metric we're using.
0: Yeah, like a like a, a big capacitor would be about the size of a Diet Coke can. A really big capacitor. Oh, okay. I got. I and get so what you're saying. You probably. I'm. I don't know, but you probably need about four Diet Coke cans to hit seven hundred thousand, maybe <laughs> more. And. So that's a lot of storage capacitance and if you've ever taken apart you know like a like a standard class AB amplifier standard you know audio amplifier you know you'll see in a really good amp you'll probably see something like 200,000 300,000 microfarads of storage capacitance in an amp okay mm-hmm. now yeah. the storage capacitance is in there because an amp you know reaches these big voltage peaks and the power supply may run out of sufficient juice to be able to supply the peak right mm-hmm. let's say you're you know, if you're hitting a 200 watt peak with a 100 watt amplifier um it may benefit from that little bit of extra juice from the capacitor because a capacitor is like a rechargeable battery sort of right yeah yeah it, you, you put energy into it and it stores it and then it drains out when there's you know some means of it draining out Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's or you could liken it to a like a like a turbocharger kind of, right? Mm, So as long as your output devices can handle that much power, meaning your transform your your transistors, um, you know, then it's like a little turbocharger, not or a big turbocharger that actually boosts the output of the amplifier so it can hit these big peaks. Yeah. Okay. Now, great. So Dennis, I'm Mm -hmm. gonna I'm gonna pursue a Socratic method of of inquiry i have my toga on okay good how even though we've already confessed that i don't know hardly anything about all these greek dudes but i know that socrates asked questions a lot (laughs) so um which means i'll never get a job at the absolute sound but whatever yeah um so um so how much what is the voltage swing you know if you look at the demand on a power supply from an amplifier. You know, between what range of volts is the amplifier's power supply putting out? Roughly with a hundred watt per channel amplifier, what's the max? What's the minimum and the max? Oh, uh, gosh, I don't know. Um maybe four 40? 40, 40 volts? Yeah, So 40, yeah. So 40 volts is somewhere I, I I I could do the math real quick, but yeah, 40 volts is somewhere around the peak output of a hundred watt per channel, well designed amplifier. Okay. And the minimum would be, depending on how the amps designed, it's going to have a certain amount of bias current and a certain amount of housekeeping current. Um, You're going to probably be talking about, I'd say, you know, a couple of volts of just sort of housekeeping voltage that's that's always running, right? Just to keep the lights on, so to speak. Yeah. So you're going between, you know, an idle voltage of a couple of couple of volts of pull out of there, Mm -hmm. and then you're going into 40 volts at you know the maximum current and power the amplifier can deliver. So you're taking a big giant that power supply is going from something that a that a battery in your pocket could put out to something that you need a big power supply to do, right? A digital device does not, okay? Yeah. And so basically they're they're loading this thing up with all these storage capacitors mm. for what?
1: Well, I have to say this. So a few years ago, the hot surface igniter in my furnace went out and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to pay the $350 that the local furnace repair guy was going to charge. So I ordered one overnight Mm -hmm. for $13. Yeah. In the day that it took that hot surface igniter to arrive, I think I really would have liked to have this thing in the room with me because I it would probably be a
0: pretty good little space <laughs> heater. Like a <laughs> it's just it's like, definitely it's, it's definitely burning off a lot of power. And let's face it, you know, the the little the cheap little power supply that came with your laptop would be more than capable of powering this thing. Yeah. Okay. But they would it's keep just your a computer. feet warm. No doubt, it's just yeah, it it's, it, it's, it's not cheap. doing anything that a that a the Sonos what is that thing called the Sonos Connect or whatever or any yeah. other or you know a, a John Darko on his podcast was recommending, his website darko.audio, Audio um, was recommending this hundred dollar little music server that does all the same stuff this does. It doesn't have as many outputs. It's only got Toslink, but still, it's doing the same job. And yeah. it's got a little. I assume it's got a little wall wart. And it probably just runs off of a 5-volt USB thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I really need to buy one of those, but that's a different story. Anyway, so basically, my theory here is, you know, knowing how these things work, which sadly, too many audio reviewers don't understand how the products work. And the first time I heard that statement was coming from a very high-end speaker manufacturer I was at dinner with, and he was literally pounding the table going, Yeah audio reviewers don't understand how the products work. And so it was a very <laughs> well, outspoken high-end audio or high-end speaker manufacturer. And I'll leave it to people to guess who that was, but yeah. um, he gets to the end of this piece and says, what you
1: can't ignore is the fact that this music server sounds like music without a hint of digital artifact. And I'm like, like where are you, where are you? I mean, that would be like if you were doing a shootout between uh, a a Samsung solid state hard drive for your computer and a mm-hmm. Western Digital solid state hard drive for your computer, yeah. and you said, "Oh well, on the Samsung, when I was pulling up my JPEGs, I really thought that the flesh tones were more <laughs> lifelike." <And it's> like, <laughs> That's I a I mean, good it's analogy. kind of the same thing because yeah. you would never see anybody say that, but you you hear that kind of BS when it comes to audio, though, because I think generally people can look at an image on a screen and go look at it. Right. Yeah. But when it comes to audio, there's always this tendency to go, Whoa, well I can hear things in the music that yeah. you can't hear, you know, because yeah. I'm more trained as a listener, but you, you can't BS somebody when you're showing them a picture,
0: but you could BS somebody when you're listening yeah, never, to audio. And I've yeah. never understood that man. I mean, even when I used to review laser players and if there was a problem with a laser player, I could call the manufacturer in and say, look, and they'd be like, yep. But yeah. with audio, no, I don't yeah. hear it. Um, yeah. So, but, but, you know, with the 700,000 microfarads of capacitors, I mean, they would do just as much good if they were like just taped to the top.
1: <laughs> or,
0: or, or, or even if they would left them in the Mundorf factory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they'd do as much yeah. good as they do actually installed in the product. And yeah. here's my thing. If manuf- maybe this manufacturer, Tyco Audio, T A I K O, go check it out wherever they are. Maybe they genuinely believe that this thing has an effect. Maybe they thought, hey, what if we stuff? What if we take this, this uh, uh, streamer, you know, a generic device basically, and put it in a super heavy-duty enclosure with enormous heat sinks? Mm-hmm. Jesus, I didn't even notice that the enormous heat sinks for for what? Anyway, but, <laughs> it's putting out <up> digital <laughs> data. Yeah.
1: And, oh my god, well, I didn't that big even power notice supply that. with
0: all the capacitance, and, uh, you know. <sighs> yeah. So anyway, but it's like maybe they genuinely feel like, "Oh, if we load this thing up with a power supply that looks like it came off of a Dan Dagostino amp, and I don't think even Dan has an amp with that much capacitance." Yeah, well, no. probably one of yeah yeah one of his those big giant ones that weighs like two hundred and fifty pounds. It takes oh, like four so guys to lift. Maybe yeah, that yeah. probably does. But even I think his his like normal forty thousand dollar amps. I don't think they have that much capacitance. They're probably pretty yeah. close. But it's just it's just so you, you, people maybe they genuinely think that that they they took a generic product, they loaded it up with this super super fancy power supply, and they listened to it and they said, oh my gosh, it's better. Because yeah. you can listen to any, in uncontrolled situations where you're not a ABing or ABXing, where you're just trying a product and then you're changing it and you're trying it again 10 minutes or 10 hours or 10 days later, well, it's real easy to think it sounds better. And so they may genuinely believe that this is a, a great thing and people should have it. But the job of reviewers is to evaluate these claims, not to repeat them, not to take dictation. Our yeah. job is not to take, I shouldn't say that. There are publications, as we both know, where your job as a reporter or a reviewer or whatever is to take dictation. All right? Mm-hmm. And we've both worked for companies like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you're actually reviewing products, especially something that's thirty four thousand dollars, you should. I, I think you should not take dictation. You should understand how the products work, and you know you can just read books. You know, read uh, uh, um, you know Horowitz and Hill, The Art of Electronics. It's, it's probably the best electronics textbooks textbook, and it's really well written. Mm. And you know, read, I that, read that one. Uh, oh, it's, it's, I mean, it's a mile thick and it costs like a hundred bucks, but it's worth it. Mm, and, yeah, okay. you know, but there's a lot of books, you know, Douglas mm-hmm. self, a uh, uh, pretty famous amp designer who worked mostly in the pro field, has written several books on circuit design, all mm-hmm. of which are worth reading. Um, yeah. You know, there's a bunch of books you can buy and, and, and you can learn how this stuff actually works and yeah. then you don't, start to say oh well something has you know somebody some guy loaded up his his generic server with 700,000 microfarads of of storage (laughs) capacitor so therefore it's better you would know like you'd ask the manufacturer like well why'd you do that and then the manufacturer gave you some bs rambling answer then you could go like yeah maybe i'll not maybe maybe this is not worthy of maybe this is not something i should tell my readers they should buy yeah well, look, I mean,
1: I think we can safely ignore the thing that he says we can't ignore. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but if we get back to the beginning, he says, ignore the aircraft-grade aluminum enclosure. Ignore the enormous heat sinks. Ign- ignore the 6,000 holes drilled under the top. Ignore yeah. the linear power supply. Well, the thing is, if you ignore all of that, there's no way this thing costs $34,000, right? Well, that's true. Like, like it costs thing that he's dollars saying, The thing that's, that he's saying you should ignore – are the things you can't ignore. And the things right. that he's saying
0: you can't ignore, yeah, you'd probably just ignore. So Yeah, and I gotta say, we here at the soundstage, Audiophile Podcast, do not object to loading down some component with a giant aluminum chassis that costs Ooh, five or oh. ten thousand bucks to manufacture or or having something that looks super cool. Or, Love jewelry, man. Love or, audio you know, jewelry, or, or or overbuilding your stuff, man. I mean, mm-hmm. there's that's fine. I'm going to spend dough on a on an inch thick milled
1: aluminum faceplate before I would spend the same amount of money on a watch any day of the week. What I'm not going to do out, is man. claim that, that it sounds different. Yeah,
0: we, we so. don't care. But to sit here and say, and say without any kind of control testing. To, to say how great this thing is because they loaded it up with all this stuff and then mm-hmm. to say how, you know, it sounds so much better when you didn't do any control testing mm-hmm. um, is just a bunch of baloney. And, and that's, I, I think, part of our mission here on the soundstage audiophile podcast is to cut through the baloney. Yeah. Well, I think we need to take a break
1: real quick and listen to some music because you need to get your blood pressure down a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> so let's take a break. Uh, let's get some water, maybe powder our noses. Cool. And uh, we'll come back and talk about the cheap audio man. Excellent. to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. I'm Dennis Berger. And I'm Brent Butterworth. And we are going to this segment dig into a recent video from Cheap Audio Man. Uh, So this is an interesting one. He did something that, I don't know, you don't see a lot of. (laughs) on YouTube, you don't see a lot of in a lot of publications, but he basically did sort of an A-B test where he tried his best to set up two identical rigs with an A-B switcher, and Mm -hmm. the premise here that he was that he was trying to test was you know could he hear the difference between a bog standard stock power cable that came with an audio component and an upgraded cable the audio quest energy z3 which is i think that's about a 250 and fifty dollar power cable yeah. so it's not It's not getting into super crazy territory. I mean, I I don't know if a lot of people, you know, we have a lot of normies that listen to this podcast. Interestingly enough, people who aren't audiophiles for any of you out there who aren't aware, there are power cords that go up to like nine, $10,000. Yeah. Um, So this one is not super, super crazy, which may be a weird thing to say. But it's a $250 power cord. And and Randy um, did this test where he set up, you know, tried his best to do two identical rigs, one of them mm-hmm. with the amplifier powered by the cable it came with, the other powered by this AudioQuest cable. And he gave us sort of listening impressions in real time, and he would switch back and forth between A and B. A, I'm hearing this. B, I'm hearing this. And then at the end, he revealed which rig was powered by the regular power cable which one was powered by the audio quest did you did you watch this one i sent you a link i did Um, watch it yeah it was good cool yeah do we want to spoil the ending
0: (laughs) um i don't know let's just say this let's just say this let's 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 give people a reason to go to his his uh, youtube channel and check it out And they
1: should, because Randy does some really cool stuff, I think. Um, He operates in the territory that I do, where he's like, you don't have to spend a lot of money to get some really great crap. So, um, yeah, let's just say he heard significant differences, significant to him differences between Mm -hmm. the two. And then at the end, he reveals, okay, I think this one is the audio quest. Which one is it, actually? But the reason I wanted to bring it up is... You know, we we uh, <laughs> we have a mantra: don't read the comments, right? I think you violate that quite a bit. You actually Often, like comment section. I love um, to go into the comment section. Um, most people say don't read the comments, but I read the comments here. I thought the, the comment section for this one was really cool because there was not a lot of sort of territorial peeing. Right. There was a lot of people saying hey, here's how I think you could improve your methodology on this. Like, thanks for doing the test, but I think you should have listened to both of the amps with the stock power cord to see if you could hear a difference between them because maybe there is some production variances between them. Or, you know, here you should have done this, you should have done that. And it was not not the sort of typical comment section vibe. It was people genuinely trying to help Randy improve his craft and yeah. have better methodology with this sort of thing and a lot of people were just saying well you can't do an a b test with one person sorry <laughs> you know but a lot of people were saying well if you're gonna try here's what you could do better and i thought that was really really interesting so in violation of my rule, in support of yours i would tell people read the comments on this because it's a really good comment section
0: yeah I'm, I'm i have so much to say about this um start saying it all right number one yeah. People like like this try to do some kind of a methodology, right? Mm-hmm. And they are always, not so much in this case, but in so many cases, they are attacked. Mm-hmm. Their methodology is criticized. Whereas mm-hmm. clowns who sit around in their underwear comparing two tube amps without even matching the level and... Um, you know, it basically having no control and, you know, and doing a sighted test and everything, no one questions their methodology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, they have no methodology, right? Right, exactly. But no one questions them. That's somehow those results are always valid. But the results <laughs> of blind testing are always invalid. Yeah. Because blind yeah. testing tends to find no differences. Yeah. Um, I want to I talk a little bit about the AMP thing, too, because it kind of ties into what we were talking about before. and okay. I think that so he used two Sabaj, what were they? Uh, A20 a twenty A, A twenty A amplifiers, which is like a. They're like one hundred ninety nine dollars a piece, and they're oh, class cool. D amp. And So he's
1: using like a two hundred fifty dollar power cord with a hundred ninety nine dollar amp. That's um, yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah, so, um, but that's fun. But uh, yeah. you know. We, 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 I think we have to revisit the fact that if you go look at the AES E, the Audio Engineering Society E Library, Mm -hmm. which anybody can access and at least read the the summaries of of all these papers, then you got to you got to be an AES member to download them or you pay like thirty three bucks a paper. Although many of them are available for free, Um, if you go looking, which I have multiple times to try to find evidence of people being able to tell amps apart under any circumstances in Controlled testing, it is very few and far between.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and we should say there's there's the assumption that the amplifier is sufficient to drive right. the load that you're you know let's yeah, I mean, let's just you get tell, that look,
0: yeah if you, if you got a two watt amp and a hundred watt <laughs> amp and you're cranking them yeah you'll be able I hope you'll be able to tell the difference but anyway right. so I'm always assuming that the amps are running within their their design parameters. So right, and, yeah. And I mean, if, you've, got an, if you've
1: right, if you've got an if you've got an amp that is not stable below four ohms for whatever reason, like with certain speakers, you're going to hear that. Sure, of right? course. So of course, yeah. yeah.
0: Now, yeah. But if you look at these two amps, you if you look at you know two of these amps, which are the same, and these amps are are not you know hand built or anything. These are stamped out. These are all you know built with very little human intervention. You know, all the boards are loaded in a machine and soldered in a machine and all the parts are on a board. And Mm. there are a few passive components in there that could be different. If you look at things like capacitors, right? Well, the tolerance on capacitors can easily be 10%, sometimes not even that good. Um, However, you know, the passive components that are in a Class D amp like this are mainly the, the ones on the filter, because, you know, class D amps operate at, you know, typically about 250 kilohertz, but then they run it through a filter that basically kills off all the radio frequency and just leaves the audio. Mm-hmm. And, but that filter is usually like a, like a, a, a second order filter with a capacitor and a choke. And mm-hmm. it's operating at such high frequencies, you know, way above human hearing, that even some mild, and, and they're not very, Large values, you know, the larger the value of the capacitor, the more, uh, 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 you know, the wider tolerance you're likely to have. Right. Um, Not always, but that's just the trend. Um, You know, these are relatively small components because they're filtering out radio frequencies. And so there's not that much variation in them, and there's certainly no audible variation in them. So, as opposed to, let's say, an old Fender Twin Reverb tube guitar amp, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that had a lot of big capacitors in it, and you know, so the variance was pretty wide. They had tone controls that you couldn't switch out of the circuit, and all those tone controls relied on capacitors, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, And, <laughs> and, and so, anybody so who's ever have, you yeah, have ever played
1: guitar knows what those potentiometers, you know, are like. The, the, so, the potentiometers yeah.
0: in there were pretty crude, and and it's tubes. All right, so yeah. could you have two Fender Twin reverbs off the same production line that sounded different? Absolutely. I don't know about today because manufacturing tolerances are much, much tighter than they used to be. But, you know, certainly like the old silver face I owned that was built in 1968 or something like that would have certainly, you know, two of those, yeah, you could have significant variations. And, but in amps like these that are that are stamped out with very little human, you know, probably people install the circuit boards and hook up all the wires inside and kabam, you're done. Oh, yeah, um, I'm
1: looking. This is an
0: Infineon integrated circuit. Yeah, circuit. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's, there's not that much to do. So it's got that circuit. I assume it's probably got some kind of an input stage, which is op amp based. There's mm-hmm. very very, very little that could vary in here. And since you probably can't tell the difference in an ABX test between these and some halfway decent tube amp, you probably can't tell the difference between any two of these amps. So I think his test, he should have checked that. However, Mm. the likelihood that there was an audible difference in the amps is near zero. And I think it's time to dispel that notion because this is not 1960 or 1970. And you know this idea that oh there's all this variation in amplifiers. Well, you know what? Prove it to me. You show me examples, and it should be very easy. Buy two amps like these, run measurements on them, see what the difference is. Not going to be much, or you yeah. know, do or, or do a blind listening test, and I guarantee you, you won't be able to hear a difference. So, what else did they? They also criticized the fact that he was the only one who listened, and yeah, a few people said that. And I don't know that I would call it criticism
1: per se. I mean, it seemed to me that they were largely trying to be helpful. Like maybe you could try this. Maybe this would be. Maybe this would give you better yeah. results. So it's it was a it was a it was a surprisingly um, constructive comment section, which kind of yeah. shocked me. Maybe, yeah, I'm, just, maybe I'm, sorry.
0: I'm, I'm reacting reflexively because I'm so used to having my methodology criticized by people that have never actually tried to do what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's valid (laughs) in most cases, that's the way it is. But there was, there was one guy that was like, Hey, nice review. But like, here's one suggestion. Maybe it would be worthwhile to do this. Maybe, maybe you could hear a difference if you did that. There was not a lot of the sort of, you know, chest pounding boasting well i would have done it this way it was just it
0: was a very helpful comment section so one guy one guy noted that you know you should abx these and yeah that's an interesting comment to me because i've done a colossal amount of blind a, B, you know, sometimes A, B, C, D, whatever, testing with four different components or something, mm-hmm. you know, where I level matched everything, played everything through some speakers and had a switcher and, or switched them by hand or whatever and had a blind test and people listened and they heard differences. And sometimes the differences seemed to be consistent. Um, mm-hmm. And yet when I actually tried to do ABX tests, which I have an audio by Van Alstein, uh AVA, ABX tester which mm-hmm. not that many people have they're i think they're up to about 1400 bucks mine was a thousand when i bought it i have serial number three <laughs> golly and uh yeah you're I, OG. I, as soon as i saw that i was like oh i gotta have one of those and they actually redesigned it to some extent based on my comments <laughs> oh wow <laughs> it, it, well, i was the i was i guess i was probably the first like person to buy it and really put it through its paces. And so uh, there, there were a lot of things that I, I thought were like, I, and I, I emailed him and said, Hey, look, this is, this, there's a lot of things that, that could be fixed in this thing. Like, like when you switch between A and B, you could hear a difference in the way the relays worked. Cause the relays mm. were in different parts of the chassis so the little ding sound that you got from the relay, so the guy put some damping in there and he redid some of the, the way it switched. So you couldn't even really do a full ABX test when I first got it, but they changed it. And I was like, hey, look, I can easily fix all this stuff by just making my own control app for this thing because it runs off RF, you know. Yeah. Normal yeah. remote control. I said, I can easily do my own control thing, but I thought, you know, you guys might want to do it and I'm happy to help out. And the engineer called me on the phone and said, this is fantastic. They changed them all. And it's a really great unit. And all it is is relays. So, you know, you're, if you switch between two amps, you're you're just putting relays in the circuit, which you know. I know that a lot of people think they can hear that, but they can't hear that. And, yeah. And, you know, if they think you can hear it, prove it. Um, anyway... Uh, so I've done a lot of ABX testing and man, with ABX, I can't tell the difference between any two amps. I've tried it many times hmm. and I just, and you know, and you, you do the test. It's, it's so instructive because you do the test and you're sitting here thinking, oh, I'm going to nail this. I can easily tell the difference between two. And you basically, you, you play A and B and then you have X, right? And you, Your job is to, term, to determine whether X is A or B. And you Mm -hmm. go through, the the switcher I have will do eight trials, and of course you can do as many runs of that as you want. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you basically, you know, write down what your picks are, and then you can go back and scroll through and see what they were, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I've always found that, like, every time I do it, I think I can hear the difference and and think I can reliably identify, and I'm always, like, 50-50. Yeah. So you know it's or or very close to 50 50 so yeah. i don't I, I don't completely discount the a b c d whatever results because i people do hear stuff they seem to be hearing something whether or not it's a big and consistent difference and it's an adequately large and consistent difference to hear in an abx test it's it's probably not yeah I mean, I well, and tell, another but, thing, but I can tell with ABX, I can tell the difference between speakers. Okay. Oh God, yeah, all day long, but but not amps or not desks. Yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, you know, one thing we have to point out is if you do hear a difference, what metrics do you use to determine okay which of the two is better? Right. Yeah. That's a big question that a lot of these people don't answer. You know, when they're doing this, oh, I heard, you know, well, I, I, when I was, when I used this one, I heard, you know, it sounded as if the if the violin was two feet behind the speaker and blah, blah, blah. And when it, what it, and this one, it sounded like it was in the plane of the speaker. And I was like, okay, well, let's say that's true. How, what, how, what is it supposed to be? <laughs> Wait, where, where, where should
0: it be? Yeah. So well, he deals, he deals a little bit with that in here. You know, he talks about the uncertainty of, it's like, he's like, I hear a difference, but you know, which right. one's better. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's not, He he's, he's reluctant about some of his conclusions in here, which is the sign of a healthy mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good job. And, um, Yeah. And that's another thing that you've brought up so many times is like, okay, you hear a difference. Well, so what? Yeah. You know, does it, is it, is it important? Is it a big difference? I mean, with speakers, with headphones, it's a big difference, right? Yeah. But with, you know, with, uh, you know, power, power cords, it's not going to be a big difference. And, Mm -hmm. you know, is it really important? Is it important enough to spend an extra 20 bucks on a power cord? Well, how about an extra 200? How about an extra 2,000? And how do you determine what is an important musical difference? And this this is why making my own, you know, finally making a serious effort at doing an album really changed my attitudes about so much of this stuff because I started to realize like so many of the decisions that are made in the studio are You 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 turn one knob a couple clicks one way you turn it the a couple clicks the other way you're kind of like yeah sounds pretty good or you're you're adjusting a compressor or something, and you know you you hear a difference but you're like well yeah I guess that I guess it's better that way all right let's move on and yeah there there there's these little tiny teeny differences I mean the hi-fi industry sells you on the idea that these differences are critical to your appreciation of the music but Mm -hmm. it's funny that musicians don't consider these differences to be significant. Yeah. Because they yeah. know, even like, or like sax players, you know, sax players, you know, they, they use reeds, which are made of cane in most cases. Mm-hmm. And those reeds change and those reeds start out a certain way and over the course of a week or a month if you're really lucky you know they will degrade and they got to throw the reed out and get a new one and then that one goes through its own life cycle and so the sound of the horn is constantly changing and then of course the temperature affects the instrument and yeah. and honestly the the mood of the musician affects the 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 sound and So many other things can have a giant effect on the sound and musicians know like, okay, I I should fuss about this, but this is not worth fussing with. Otherwise, you're not playing music. I mean, dudes who might, our good friend, Terry Landry, Mm -hmm. uh, he told me something that really stuck with me once as a musician. And he said, uh, fiddlers aren't shedders. Hmm? Fiddlers aren't shedders. And what he means by that is people that are constantly fiddling around with their gear are not woodshedding. And wood shedding is, you know, slang for intense practice sessions. So he's basically saying if you're spending all your time fiddling around with your gear and not practicing your result will not be good. It's more nice. important to folk. I mean, yes, everybody fiddles with their, I shouldn't say everybody. I've met musicians who just like get everything going and just really don't seem to care. <laughs> but yes. A few, not many. Um, but, you know, most of them, uh, horn players are always, you know, struggling to get a better sound, but, they don't sit there a decent horn player is not going to sit there for hours upon hours fussing with his reed or his his ligature or something like that i mean they'll try different stuff and they're always trying new stuff and anyway so i just think so many of these differences that people find with power chords and stuff are insignificant and they don't know what which one's better but the hi-fi industry the high-end hi-fi industry creates this idea that oh, every little difference is is important. And yeah. that's just not true. I think yeah, that, a lot the, of them are
1: arbitrary, you know, they are. Because and, back to and, that book that you got me to read about status, you know, where he's talking about arbitrary choices. A lot of this stuff is, you know, and by arbitrary, I mean, it's like, uh, it doesn't really matter which one you choose. They may be different, but are they, uh, does one have more legitimate value than the other? And so,
0: yeah. Yeah, and they've created this impression of like, you. They, they've they've created an environment where people are scared to say they can't hear a difference or scared mm-hmm. to say, especially scared to say that they hear a difference, but it's not significant. How often do you see that in audio reviews? Yeah, it's like, yeah, I heard a difference, but it wasn't significant. You almost yeah. never see that. People are scared to say that. Yeah. And they shouldn't be. People should have the courage to say, hey, you know what? Here's a difference. I don't care about it. I think that a lot of manufacturers sort of create this. Like the reviewer should be able to say, hey, Mr. Manufacturer or Mrs. Manufacturer, this is all you got. This is like the big difference. It's worth paying a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 bucks for this little Mm -hmm. teeny tiny difference you're talking about and the manufacturer will say, Oh, well, we consider it to be musically significant and blah, blah, blah. And we have to be able to, and you know, what does that manufacturer really know about music? Some of them know, some Mm -hmm. of them understand music production, but I would say the vast majority of them don't. There aren't too many of those dudes that I call for to to play on a gig with me and (laughs) you know, very, very few Good point, and 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 you know, so it's I I really don't think that they a lot of them really if they think these little teeny tiny barely perceptible or or imperceptible differences in control testing are important, I think they don't understand music very well. I'm just yeah. going to say it. Sorry, yeah. manufacturers.
1: Yeah, prove me have wrong. To say- I have to say something, man. We've been at this podcast together for about 10 months, and you've Mm -hmm. gotten really, really good at segues. So you have perfectly sort of set up our our next topic, I think, and talking about, you know, how how much of our industry, unfortunately, is not about the music. So why don't we take a break and, uh, and come back and talk about some important writing about music?
0: Indeed. We're back. This is the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast with your hosts, Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger. And we are here in our last segment to talk about a column that's being done on soundstageexperience.com. And you can go to soundstage.com and get onto all of these different microsites that we're talking about. That's probably the easiest way to find them rather mm-hmm. than us spelling out the URL for this thing. But go to soundstage.com and you can find all this stuff. Yeah. So. This is an article by Joseph Taylor called XTC curated. And he's, Mm -hmm. I I wasn't even aware of this because like I said before, I don't, this is a big sprawling website and I don't have a chance to read all of it. Um, But he's been doing a series of these curations where he talks about an artist and he gives you some of the history of that artist And he tells you, you know, what's the important stuff to listen to from that artist and what's maybe not so important to listen to. And I really love these articles because he has pretty clearly researched a lot of this. The thing I love is he really has, there's so often when you read people's critical writing about a musical artist where they don't seem to have internalized what that artist is all about. And he really seems to internalize who. Who these artists are, what they stand for, why they do what they do, you yeah, know, why they did the things they did. And so he can understand, in my opinion, what a good album is from that artist and what a not-so-great album is from that artist. And that's really valuable.
1: When I fell in love with this series is when – well, actually, when it came to my attention is when back – Gosh, earlier this year, I'm not sure when it was. I don't remember, but he did a Delaney and Bonnie curated. And Delaney and Bonnie and friends has always been one of my favorite bands. And so it was like, wait a minute, like somebody's writing about Delaney and Bonnie. That's actually kind of how I got to know Joseph. Right. And Mm -hmm. um, so it was just a really, really great sort of tour of their relationship and their output and putting their output in the context of the history and like, if you had put that article, Delaney and Bonnie curated up on Amazon and sold it for 99 cents, I would say it was the, the like totally worth it and probably the best book ever written on Delaney and Bonnie. I don't know if there's been any other books written about Delaney and Bonnie, probably not. but
0: even, even if there have, that would be the best one. So I mean, I'm only dimly aware of who Delaney and Bonnie are. I know Eric Clapton like played with them or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I know Yes toured with them because Steve Howe said in an interview how much he liked their music and how it made him want to do more folky kind of things. Well, look, the first Clapton album, the the, mm-hmm. the first solo Clapton album, is really just
1: a Delaney and Bonnie and Friends album with Clapton on vocals. It's, it's yeah.
0: So. But he's also got like Spirit curated. And mm-hmm. Spirit, for those who don't know, is best known for number one, being the first rock dude with, or the the first rock band that had a dude with a shaved head in it. Mm-hmm. And I think so. I think that was even before Tony Levin, you know, debuted oh. that look with Peter Gabriel. Interesting. And I don't know what instrument he played. Probably drums. You probably put that guy back on the drums. Back then, because back then, shaved heads were really weird. That was like, that was like Telly Savalas and Ewell Brenner were the only dudes with shaved heads. And um, <laughs> yeah. And they also had, the leader's name was Randy California. Which, mm. uh, which to me, just just like that—that that is about as uncool as you could <laughs> be. You know,
1: uh, you're not going to change your name to Brent Idaho. No, no,
0: I don't think I will. Brent South and, Dakota. Uh, and also, they're known for uh, uh, the Randy California. I think his heirs. I think he's probably dead. I think his family sued uh, Jimmy Page. Ooh. for because. Spirit had a song where the intro of it was kind of like the intro to Stairway to Heaven, but, but, uh, but Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page or Led Zeppelin won that lawsuit because there's a whole, but they just basically said, you know, Hey courts, you know, (laughs) that core progression, you know, it's also in, um, um, you know, uh, so many other tunes that date back, you know, 50 years. Mm. And, you know, so Anyway, so we're going on too long about Spirit, but this makes me realize, like, I should at least read his thing here and go like, uh, you know, at least I'll give Spirit kind of a little bit of a chance and I'll pull him up on Spotify or something and and, and listen to a couple of things. And I'll probably hate it, but, you know, whatever. But he's got a lot of bands in the, the Tragically Hip. I don't know anything about them. Um, hmm. um Laura I Niro, didn't either who, until I read that article, I, and,
1: and now it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go check some of this stuff out. I also, I wasn't familiar with Laura Nero which she did. I think that's I think it's pronounced Niro. Correctly. I think Niro, Laura Nero. There's been decades okay. of confusion about that. Um, I wasn't familiar with her work, really. I mean, just vaguely until I read that his Laura Nero curated, and then a lot of times you sort of hear about a new artist, and you're kind of like, where do I start, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And these curated guides are a really good place, I think, to go okay, here's an artist that maybe I'm vaguely aware of enough to know maybe I'm interested, but like, where do I start? I think Joseph's um, like curated articles are a really good place to sort of suss that out.
0: Yeah. Cause you don't want to start in the wrong place with an artist hmm. and you know, you might start with, I mean, like look, look at Todd Rundgren here, right? Hmm. You might start with, uh oh, what was that song? I don't wanna work, I wanna bang on a drum all day or something like that, which was a which was a novelty hit, right? Yeah, that's not what Ty Rundgren's all about. And that his other his tunes don't sound like that, but if you started with that, you'd be kind of like, Oh, this guy's a throwaway. Right. Um, where, no, Ty Rundgren's really deep, you know. But I I I have to say I think there's a huge value to this even if you know the artist. It's good to experience an artist through someone else's ears. Yeah. And I did this so there's a site called Vulture which has all kind of cultural uh, uh, articles and they had 100 and all 183 Rush tunes ranked worst to best. Mm. And I what was the I mean, worst? Uh, maybe that one where Getty Lee raps. God, it would have to be. But but anyway, so, so, and I hadn't heard, I have to confess, I'm, I'm, I'm a Rush fan from way back in about 76, 77, but there's some of those albums I hadn't heard. And there's some of those albums I hadn't given a chance much Mm -hmm. and, but hearing it through someone else's years to me and it took me like two road trips to get through all 183 songs because you know there are some long rush songs mm-hmm. <laughs> there are rush songs that take up you know a half a side of you know half a side you know one side of an album and then another side of the next album but um it took a long time to get through it, but it was really worthwhile it turned me on to a lot of new things it taught me a lot about the band and just hearing it through someone else's ears was really valuable now i gotta say the same guy did one on Yes, and it was not as good because Rush's output was a lot more consistent than Yes's. And less Yes, mm. Rush's bad stuff. In, in the first ten tunes, you're kind of bad, past all their really bad stuff. Whereas Yes, it takes you about fifty tunes to get past all their really crappy stuff. Yeah, um, and I saw another guy on Vulture did one of all seventy or eighty Led Zeppelin tunes, and he clearly had not internalized Led Zeppelin, and he clearly was not diligent about it. The way Joseph is, yeah, I'm reading Joseph's stuff here, and it's very clear that he gets who the artist is. And that's super, super important. Rather than he
1: pours his heart
0: into these things, man. Yeah. Like me, it's it's in some in some cases it would be like me doing one of these things on the Grateful Dead. It's like most of that music (laughs) I haven't heard. A lot of it I don't like. And it'd be yeah. kind of it'd be kind of useless for me to do that, but for you to do that would be really good because you like the Grateful Dead. Yeah, but I'm
1: I don't really like their studio records that much.
0: Most of them, I like like three okay. of them. You
1: know, okay. So. But still,
0: you'd be a worthwhile guide, whereas I would be useless. Um, yeah. And some of these people are, but Joseph's stuff is really really solid, and I don't think he tackles any artist that he. Doesn't have some kind of connection with in some way. I mean, not a yeah. connection with like he knows them necessarily, but more of a an emotional connection. And, uh, and right. it's it's pr- pretty clear that all these artists mean something to him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's really cool. And I would encourage people to go check this out. And I'm certainly going to check it because now I'm looking at like Stevie Wonder. It's like, oh man. Somebody really needs to do like a Stevie yeah, while well, read what he says because I've listened to a lot of Stevie Wonder over the years and I've been an admirer of his for a long long time. That was actually the first uh, the, the first concert I saw was Elvis at the Houston Livestock and Rodeo Show in 67 or 68. Wow. Not really a concert. It was a rodeo that happened to have Elvis. And <laughs> I don't remember the thing about it, but then somehow on it was either the Inner Book Tour inner book either the inner visions or talking book tour and me and my brother talked my parents into taking us to see uh stevie wonder on that tour way back and you Mm. know we're talking about 73 or something like that oh wow and so i saw stevie wonder way back then but we left after like two tunes because my dad smelled you know marijuana smoke and he pretty much thought that we were all gonna turn into jerry garcia oh no so uh (laughs) <laughs> reefer Madness. Hey was, uh, speaking of Stevie Wonder, did you ever
1: see the um I think it was last year? Quest Love did a documentary called Summer of Soul. Of course. Yeah. About the heart. Harlan- oh man. If you're a Stevie Wonder fan, you gotta check that out. Yeah. Well, and you and I think amazing.
0: My level of appreciation for Stevie went way up because I knew he played a lot of his own instruments and stuff. But when he sits down and starts playing drums and stuff, it's just like, mind-blowing. Wow. And then when he gets on the clavinet with the wah-wah pedal and starts doing the funk stuff on there, I've never seen that done. I mean, you can't buy those things anymore, I don't think. you know Now, you you wouldn't buy them. You buy a a, a Nord keyboard that has that sound punched in, right? Right, Um, right. But to see him actually doing it with the old style electromechanical keyboards, because those things had like actual guitar strings inside them. And with a pickup, that's why they sounded kind of like a guitar. And, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to see him playing that and how just kick ass it sounded. Oh, my God. So great. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good content. So I, I guess the best way to get to it is go to soundstage.com go to soundstage experience, you know, scroll way down past all the videos, go to soundstage experience and start poking around on soundstage experience. And you will find one of these curated articles. And then and you can I am going in the show notes.
1: I'm going to link to curator. There's a URL that in, you could just go straight to it. Yeah.
0: I so. forgot. We can actually put in links to the yep. things we talk about. Yeah, yeah, I do it every episode, man. <laughs> Technology is technology's just so fascinating.
1: Yeah, these kids today with their rock and roll music and their hula hoops. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway you uh, you about ready to wrap things up this week? I am. So, uh, the music. Bruno's begging me for lunch, so we got to okay, we got to do some credits and get out of here. So.
0: So the music that we have. But the music the, the music on the front and back of this is my own music and the music in the middle I think we still have a little bit of Terry Landry stuff left to go
1: yeah I got two tracks that I want to I want to remaster Great. I think I'll, maybe I'll use those so we should say we're a Butterburger production which means that you know we did the recording and one of us mixed and mastered and edited and all of that yeah and we are in.
0: Produ- we are a the global the global uh, 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 governing body under which we function is the Soundstage Network, which is <laughs> I'm 9 governable man. Which is so <laughs> nine microsites <laughs> dealing with all different aspects of audio, from super ultra high end to cheap little Bluetooth speakers and all sorts of stuff in between. So go yeah. check it out
1: yeah so hey you you sort of dropped a little nugget in the last episode you said we were coming up on the end of the year and maybe we would do an end of year retrospective our next episode will be the last of the year so you want to do that then absolutely end of
0: year retrospective yeah man and we're, cool. we're going to minimize our discussion of the uh the mobile fidelity thing <laughs> i think it's been discussed to death we can just say we'll just say hey this mobile foot only thing happened everybody knows about it let's move on
1: yeah yeah all right man we'll we'll see you in a couple of weeks then all right bye bye